Hope everybody's doing well this week. I would love it if you brought your Bible with you or you have a device, a smart device, if you'd open up to Psalm 51 and then put a marker in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Uh, we're going to be continuing our series uh, within a series. So we've been in the Friend of God series, we'll be in the Friend of God series for some time. And we're wrapping up uh, the first half of the mini-series within the series. And the mini-series we've been in now for four weeks together answers the question, what are God's friends like? And the first four weeks of the eight-week mini-series walk through four of God's friends in the Old Testament. All right, then we're going to move to some of his New Testament friends or his friends recorded in the New Testament. Would probably be a better way to say it. Uh, but we're wrapping up with one of God's, another one of God's best friends that we see in the Old Testament, and that is King David. I want to show you at the beginning of this, and there's so many directions that we could have gone with this, and, and let me just give you a heads up. Uh, uh, so I, I turned 45 this week. Uh, yeah, yeah, I didn't say it for that. Um, so you know how, I mean, 45, I, I just filmed a, a leader's cut on Thursday. 45 to me is like the midlife midlife. You know, it's like the uber midlife. Because to me, uh, you know, most of us experience our prime somewhere between 30 and 60. Well, 45 is smack in the middle of that. It's not to say after 60, we don't have prime moments. That's one of the reasons we called it prime time in Dallas, our ministry for 60 and up, 65 and up. Because they're, they're sure, surely, Incredible moments, but you know what I mean. Kind of like the, the extended hot streak. So please don't be offended in any way if, if you felt I was saying nothing good happens after 60. I can't wait to be 60 uh, because people will actually start listening to me by the time I'm 60, I feel like. Um, but then also, you know, I don't know if I'll, I'll live to be, I don't know what the average age uh, in our country is, but if it's 90, 45 is halfway there. And... So it was just a, a special time this week in Dallas, just me and the Lord. We had a couple of days, just the two of us, while I was ministering there. And some really special things happened. Uh, filmed uh, an episode of the Leaders Cut to talk about it. That will come out later in the summer. Um, but this particular message, it, it always makes me laugh when God, when, it, when it's obvious God lined things up a certain way. And when you realize his why for setting them up a certain way is because he just wanted it that way. And so <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't plan this. And I think about over the last five months to get to this point in the series, how many times I felt the Lord call an audible, how many times uh, someone else spoke, and it, that I would be talking about David, but specifically point number four, the week of my birthday in the middle of my life. Um, Here's what I would say about this message. To me, this message, I'm far more excited about the moment we will share with him at the end of this message than I am about any of the material that we're gonna cover. And that's not to say the material, because there's a lot of scripture, uh, isn't, isn't good or isn't from the Lord. But you know, when, he, when you can just tell there's something, there's, there's just a moment he wants to have. And it's one of my favorite things about my best friend, is when it's like, okay, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. So I'm just going to try and breeze through the message, and then we're just going to see uh, what the Lord wants to do. 
with us. So let's get into part four, answering the question, what are God's friends like? Let's talk about David. First Samuel chapter 13, verse 14. I want you to see uh, God is making the transition from Saul to the next king, and I want you to see the statement that's made in verse 14. But now your kingdom, speaking of Saul, your kingdom must end, for the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. Acts 13, 22 records it like this. But God removed Saul and replaced him with David, about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do whatever I want him to do. You know, sometimes when I think about preaching, I, I wish I could hold in what I'm feeling. Um, but these words right here are one of the cries of my heart, and it has been since I was 13. When I realized that God searched the whole earth looking for someone who was after his heart, Something happened inside of me as a young teenager. I wanted that to be said of me. As a young teenager, I didn't want to be a pastor. I didn't want to be a bunch of things. But when I read this, I remember feeling, if that can be said of someone else, I want it to be said of me. Little did I know how expensive that, that, that wish would be, but how worth it it's been and will continue to be. So as we jump into David, I just want you to know, and it probably won't be like this tomorrow, um, but I'm not really thinking about you being in the room right now. It's just been such a great week with the Lord, and I'm just pretending you're not here, to be honest. Uh, point number one, the first thing of many things, and I'm only using four, that David teaches us about friendship with God is this, God's friends are sensitive to God's, and I'm gonna add this word, I've gone back and forth all week, to God's sensitive heart. We talk a lot about being sensitive to the Holy Spirit, but I'm not sure we do a good enough job talking about the fact that the Holy Spirit is in fact very, very sensitive. We must be sensitive to the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is extremely sensitive. Here's another way to say it. The Holy Spirit has feelings. I think one of Satan's favorite lies is that the Holy Spirit doesn't even exist because when you convince someone that someone doesn't even exist, then it's easy to think they don't have any feelings because they don't exist. Their feelings don't exist because they themselves don't exist. And why would Satan ever want us to believe that the Holy Spirit doesn't have feelings? Because if we don't understand that the Holy Spirit can be grieved, we'll never even think about what it is we do that does grieve the Holy Spirit and create relational separation between us and him. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. Ephesians 4 verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of re redemption. The word grieve here in the Greek means to cause to feel sorrow, pain, 
unhappiness, or distress, did you know that you have the ability every day of your life to cause the God of the universe to feel sorrow, to feel pain, to feel unhappiness, or to feel distress. And not only do I understand that I can, I'm aware that I have. I want you to understand though, because I don't want you to take this too far, some attach grieving the Holy Spirit with the unpardonable sin. So then people go, well, if I grieve the Holy Spirit, then I lose my salvation. Listen to me closely. Grieving the Holy Spirit is not an issue of losing salvation. Grieving the Holy Spirit is an issue of sadness being caused, not salvation being lost. That's why Ephesians 4.30 says, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Okay, so Preston, when you grieve the Holy Spirit, it's not about losing your salvation, but it is about creating sadness for the Holy Spirit. Psalm 51 is the Psalm David wrote about his sins with Bathsheba. And if you're in Psalm 51, we're just going to read through this. I have no idea how, how long this message is going to go. I promise I'll try and be quick. Psalm 51, starting in verse 1. David says, Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. In other words, not because I deserve it, but just because your love is unfailing. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. Important phrase. It haunts me day and night. Look, he's sensitive. He realized what he did was absolute rebellion. And it was keeping him up at night and haunting him throughout the day. Against you and you alone, verse 4 says, I have sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. Every choice I make which satisfies my flesh is a choice whose worst consequence is that I have caused sadness for the spirit. David shows us that the first step to being sensitive to the sensitive Holy Spirit is to be aware of what you did. But the second thing David shows us is being sad because he is sad. Look in verse eight of Psalm 51. Oh, give me back my joy again. He was distressed and depressed. Then you're going to see why. Give me back my joy again. I've lost it. You've broken me. Now let me rejoice. And you'll see in a minute how God broke him. Verse 9, don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. There's a verse that poses a question and a principle that I think is really apropos for this passage. How can two walk together unless they be in agreement? How can I walk with the Holy Spirit if we don't agree about the wrong I have done when I have done wrong? If the Holy Spirit is saddened by my sin and I am not, it's only because we aren't walking together. Because when we walk together, 
we're in agreement. We would agree on my sin if we were walking together. But those times where he's saddened by my sin and I am not are just moments that serve as evidence that in that season of my life, we weren't walking together intimately. David shows us one of the marks of intimate fellowship with God is that when he is saddened by something I've done, I am saddened because he is sad. Notice David says God was looking at his sins. And some might be thinking, well, I thought that God said he remembers our sin no more. I thought God said he, he removes our sins so far away from us as the east is from the west. Why is David saying that God was looking at his sins? Because Psalm 51 was pre-repentance. He'd not repented for his sin yet. He's writing this real time feeling the weight of the grief of the Holy Spirit of God. Psalm 32 verse three shows us, this is after the fact, with hindsight. He talks about what I believe he was doing and feeling in Psalm 51. In Psalm 32, three, David says, when I refused to confess my sins. So there was a period of time where he was in rebellion, refusing to even admit what he had done. When I refused to confess my sin, here's what happened to me. My body wasted away and I groaned all day long. Now I'm gonna take you back to Psalm 51, verse 11, and I'm gonna show you why I think he was so overwhelmed. One verse. Listen to what he says, and I believe this was the cry of his heart. This is what got him. This is what broke him. Do not banish me from your presence. And take not thy Holy Spirit from me. I know I've done wrong. And I know there will be consequence. And there was. I will take my consequence. Just promise you won't take your spirit away from me. This is a really loaded question that I don't know if anyone's ever asked you. But if you were having a really great hot streak with the Lord, privately, intimately, over a sustained period of time, and then one day in your time with the Lord, the Lord just decided to get up and walk away, how would you respond? Would it just be another day? Or would you become so miserable that you'd groan all day long? See, we talk about the positive side of this and those saying, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. God's best friends love his presence more than they do his promises. We talk about the good side of it, but the other side of that coin is what happens when he's not around. What happens when my sin creates relational separation until I repent of it? Am I as saddened about our separation as he is? Do you know how amazing that this is that the God of the universe would ever be sad when there's separation between me and him? That can only show that he is obsessed with being with me and with you. If he is saddened 
by anything that would create relational separation between us. The sadness of the Holy Spirit brings separation from the Holy Spirit. There is always relational separation until there is repentance. So Preston, how do I not grieve the Holy Spirit? At the beginning of the chapter, we're told, live a life worthy of the calling you've been given from God. Interestingly enough, I don't have time to go into this, but it's fascinating to me that John the Baptist, and we're actually most likely going to do a week on John the Baptist as one of God's friends, because he literally leapt in his mother's womb when he got around his best friend who was in his mother's earthly womb. But it's interesting to me that John the Baptist said, here's how I knew I would find the one when I saw the one. Because I was told it would be the one whom the Holy Spirit rests upon and remains. Here's another way to say it. Think about the Holy Spirit like a dove. R.T. Kendall does this when he talks about the sensitivity of the Spirit as well as anybody I've ever heard in my lifetime. Think about the Holy Spirit as a dove. If a dove was on your shoulder, think about how easily the dove could leave if you, if you even just flinched in its direction. And John the Baptist says, here's how I knew he was the one. The Holy Spirit didn't just come upon him. The Holy Spirit remained. Another way to say it, there was never a moment during Jesus' earthly life where he did a single thing to grieve the Holy Spirit. Incidentally, we're going to talk about Jesus as one of God's best friends. He'll be the fourth of the New Testament friends. Here's the second thing David shows us about friendship with God. God's friends have a different response to God's nose. A relationship which does not have nose is a relationship which cannot have intimacy. I'm not talking about the, no, I, I just don't feel like it kind of a no. I'm talking about the, no, because that's not what's best kind of no. When God tells you yes, how do you respond? When God tells you no, when there's something you really, 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 really want and you tell him with that many reallys and he says, no, how do you respond? I know I'm not going to be able to have time to talk about this tomorrow, but this week I had a moment with the Lord. He, he had said before I went to Dallas, he said, I'm going to give you something for your birthday while you're there. Make sure you have your Bible with you. So I took it. There was a moment. I was sitting on the stage, getting ready to minister there in Southlake. And I felt the Lord say, I want you to go to Haggai, chapter 2. At the end of the passage, there's a moment where God makes a promise to Zerubbabel. And he says, while the seed is still in the barn, and before the grape even becomes wine, I'm blessing you now. From this day forward, I will bless you. It's the second time in my life I felt the Lord give me that passage. The first time I was younger, and when he gave it to me, I'm not going to lie, Here's how I responded. Woo! 
from this day forward, holla at your boy. We about to go on a hot streak. Okay, at 45, I responded a little bit differently. And I didn't fully even understand why until he took me through the rest of the exercise. When he gave me the verse, here's how I responded. Okay. And honestly, in my heart, and it wasn't pessimism, it was just honesty, I said, maybe, maybe not. Maybe, in other words, maybe it looks the way I think it might. Maybe it doesn't. <laughs> then I'm flying home the day after my birthday, and on the flight, I felt the Lord say, Preston, what if I never do anything else for you? What if everything I've done up to 45 was all I had decided to do? My mind started thinking about a bunch of different things that I want and a bunch of things I want to do for God and with God. But when he said, press him, what if I do nothing more? I didn't realize it until I was finishing up this message. What he was saying was, what if some of the things you've asked me for, I say no to? I think we really need to think about this. Is our relationship with God dependent upon his constant yes? Or is our relationship with God strong enough to be, handle, be able to handle some pretty big no's? If your happiness revolves around always having to hear God say yes to you, you're missing out on some of life's most special moments when God says no to you. 2 Samuel chapter 7, if you put a marker there, flip over. Verses 1, 2, and 3 show us that King David had something really, 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 really big in his heart that he wanted to do for God. Verse 1 says, When King David was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all the surrounding enemies, the king summoned Nathan the prophet. Look, David said, I'm living in a beautiful cedar palace, but the ark of God is out there in a stupid tent. Nathan replied to the king, go ahead and do whatever you have in mind, for the Lord is with you. Now, it sounds like he's a yes man. I don't have time to read through the rest of it. But Nathan goes home, and God says, I didn't tell you to say that. I didn't tell you to tell David yes, because my answer to David is no. And tomorrow I want you to go back and tell him, no. This thing in his heart that he really, 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 really wants to do for me? My answer to that is no. I want to show you. David was aware God said no. I'll show you 1 Chronicles 28, verses 2 and 3. David rose to his feet and said, My brothers and my people, it was my desire to build a temple. This is at the end of his life. Where the ark of the Lord's covenant, God's footstool, could rest permanently. I made the necessary preparations. He spent years preparing 
to do the thing in his heart he most wanted to do for God. This is what he's saying. And then he says, but God said to me, you must not build a temple to honor my name for you're a warrior and have shed much blood. David says, God told me no. And I'll go back, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 18. Here's the multi-billion dollar question. David has this really awesome thing, this good thing. He wanted to build a house for the Lord where his presence could dwell and not just have to move around all the time. He had made preparations for it. He had sacrificed all throughout his life for it. God still told him no. The multi-billion dollar question is, how did one of God's best friends respond when God told him no? How would you respond? You did all the right things. Nobody sacrificed as much as you. Nobody saved and set apart more resources than you. You did what no one else was willing to do, and you did it with a pure heart. And God still said no. How would you have responded? Can I show you how one of God's best friends responded? Verse 18, 2 Samuel 7. Nathan just told him no. Scripture says, then King David went in. He went in. Went in where? The presence of the Lord. Sat before the Lord and prayed. <laughs> Is that what you do when he says no? One who is entitled always has to hear yes. But one who is intimate loves to hear no. One cannot be entitled and intimate simultaneously. Oh, this one right here is painful. Entitlement is an obsession with what you want. Intimacy is an obsession with the one you want. You can't be both. I'm trying to teach you this year, just like we did with Moses. Get to a place where if you had to pick between the stuff and him, you settle it in your heart. I just want you. Watch this. Verse 22 of 2 Samuel 7, he goes in to pray. Listen to how he talks to God. He says, how great you are, O sovereign Lord. God just told him no to the number one thing he wanted to do. And he says, how great you are. You're amazing for telling me no. There is no one like you. In my Bible, I just have every time he says you, or your boxed because he just goes on a run and just keeps saying it. There is no one like you. We've never heard of another God like you. What other nation on earth is like your people Israel? What other nation, O oh God, have you redeemed from slavery to be your own people? You made a great name for yourself when you redeemed your people from Egypt. 
You performed awesome miracles and drove out the nations and gods that stood in their way. You made Israel your very own people forever. And you, O Lord, became their God. God's best friends are less concerned with themselves than they are with him. The one thing he wanted to do for God, God said no. And please don't act all spiritual and religious like you would be cool with it. Just go home. If you're married, go home and do something like this. You know what, baby? I've been saving up for 12 years. And there's something I've been wanting to do for you above anything else I could ever do for you. You're going to absolutely love it, I'm telling you. No one's ever done this for you. And then you tell them what it is. And then they look you in the eyes and say, no, you're not going to do that for me. You don't think you might want to slap them in the face? You don't think that would hurt a little bit? You don't think that would sting a lot? David goes into the presence of the Lord and his prayer is fixated on you, you, you. I guess you could probably say it like this. It's really hard to be intimate with the God of the universe when all you think about is me, me, me. God's best friends just seem to handle God's nose better than everybody else. Here's the third thing David shows us. That God's friends understand with is better than for. The flesh wants to climb higher for the Lord. But my spirit longs to go deeper into the cave with the Lord. But see, we get in this whole spiritual exercise about doing things for the Lord. And there's a one-liner in this point. I've never heard him say something like this to me, and it literally took my breath away. Immediately, I felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And we'll get to it, but I think we all need to understand this. There's a big difference between doing things with God and doing things for God. The religious think that doing things for God is the pinnacle of spirituality. That's not it at all. Doing things with God is the pinnacle of Christianity. Can you even wrap your mind around the fact that the God of the universe would ever look in your direction and say, my favorite thing to do is to do anything with you. I hope that doesn't just land on you like, oh, that's cool. First Samuel 17, one of the hallmark moments publicly in David's life. 
He's standing in the middle of a sea of God's people who are deathly afraid of Goliath. Goliath starts taunting him. <laughs> Listen to what David says when he looks, the little boy looks the giant right in the eyes. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. David's looking the giant in the face, and he's not bragging. He leads off with, today, I'm going to see my God deliver you into my hands. He says to Saul earlier, he says, hey, I've seen God deliver me from the lion and the bear, and I'm going to see God deliver me from this stupid Philistine too. He wasn't saying, just saying, I killed the lion and I killed the bear. He was saying, I want to tell you something about me you don't know. God and I have been at work. And while no one was watching, we've been taking out enemies in preparation for this enemy. And I've seen God be faithful with them and I will see God be faithful with this. But his point is, we did it, and we are going to do this too. With God. The most amazing things you do for God could never, ever, ever, ever be done without God. I don't have time to go into 1 Chronicles 29. There's another moment where David, in taking up the single largest offering in the history of humanity to build the temple, lays out how much he had saved and was giving to the temple. 112 tons of gold. There, there's some disagreement on the number as it relates to the number being inflation-adjusted but it appears as though, at a bare minimum, inflation adjusted, that the gold and silver that David gave to the Lord was somewhere around a quarter of a billion dollars. One guy says all the way up to $1.4 trillion. The richest human alive today, David gave to the Lord more than that human has right now number one on the earth's list. But when he gives it, what does he say? First Chronicles 29, one of my favorite moments. He says, hey, I'm giving this to you, but God, I have not gotten this twisted. I couldn't give this to you if you didn't first give it to me. So here's another one of those moments in my life where we're doing this together. I'm not doing this. We're doing this. I'm giving it to you, but you gave it to me. We're doing this together. Two, two pictures I've had the Lord give me for this point. 
The first is like a parent. I, I really want this to sink in, how badly God wants to do everything with you. Get the picture of a parent and put yourself in the, in the place of a parent at home and you have to go to work. And you say to your children, summer break, and they've been excited to spend time with you. And they say, mommy, daddy, please stay home. Please don't go to work. I just want to be with you today. Can we please go to the park together? I just want to be with you. Honey, I have to go to work. Okay, well then, then let me go with you. I just want to be with you today. And here's what you say. Honey, you need to understand something. I'm going because I'm doing this for you. And when I'm done doing this for you, I promise I will come back to be with you. The child starts crying and says, but I don't care if you do it for me. I just want you to stay home and be with me. Okay. I believe this is the heart God has for us. It's just hard for us to wrap our limited minds around that God would ever feel that way about us. Anything, and this is the one-liner that just took my breath away after he gave me this picture. He said, Preston, anything you do for me but without me means very little to me. I'll say it for you. Anything you do for him but without him means very little to him. There's so many things God desires for you to do during your time on this earth. And I legitimately believe I figured out his why for having such a long list of things he desires you to do on this earth. And here it is. It's so you'll do it with him. It's so we will do all of them with him. My doing them is far less important to God than my doing them with him. Here's the other picture I felt like the Lord gave me about this point. You remember when you were younger and there was that one kid at school that really, 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 really liked you? Like a little bit more than you wanted them to like you? And everything you did, they wanted to do? And let's just say, you know, for those of us who are older, we would have grown up in the smartphone era and we could just text whenever we wanted because back then you really couldn't. You could email, but it would take forever to get through the sound to even open up the email. But you know, that friend would be the kind of friend that, that would just always be texting middle of the night, first thing in the morning, last thing before you go to bed. What are you doing tomorrow? I want to do it with you. Can I go to basketball practice with you? Can I go do, the, do this with you? Can I go do this with you? Can I go do this with you? 
It's hard for me, I'll, I'll say this, it used to be hard. It's not that hard anymore. But it used to be really hard for me to wrap my mind around the fact that every second of every day, God wanted to be with me while I was doing what I was doing. It got easy once I got a revelation of just how badly he wants to be my best friend. Think about it. He's the God who looks in your direction when you say, hey, I gotta go to the store. You know when I say that to my kids? Hey, I'm going to the store. Anybody gonna wanna go with me? You know the response I get? Nah, but can you pick up this, 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 and this? But I don't wanna go with you. I'm going to the store, anybody wanna go? Get this picture, the God of the universe going, I wanna go, I, I wanna go. Let's go get in the truck right now. I'm going to the gym, anybody wanna go? No. God says, I wanna go. Is it leg day? No, Lord, you know me well enough to know it ain't leg day. No day is leg day in my house, Lord. How about, I've got to go through chemo today. Anybody want to go with me? I do. I want to go. I've got to go bury my baby today. Anybody want to go? I do. I do, I do, I do, I do. I do, I do. I want to go with you. I want to be with you the whole day. My entire life changed when I got a revelation that this is how God is with us. This is why he says, I will never leave you or forsake you because I can't bear the thought to not be with you. Everything you do, Preston, I want to do with you. Now understand, when you go sin, I'm not doing that. But I'm trying to help you understand at such a deep level how badly I want to do everything with you that you understand. I won't do that. So I don't want you to do that. Because I'd rather us do something we can do together. We can't do that together. It changes the way you see everything. The best of friends love to go with you through even the worst of times. God so badly loves you that he is latchy with you. Here's the fourth thing. I promise this one won't take long because the moment will. God's friends know God's three favorite words. No sweeter way I think he could have ended it for me than this right here. Psalm 18 verse 1. David teaches us these words. I love you. I'm not trying to elicit emotion from you. You don't know because you're not back there. He does. 
There are times when those words come out of my mouth and I can't hold myself together. Three of his favorite words to hear any human say. I love you. Some foolish teacher of the law back in the day who thought he was really, really smart tried to trap Jesus one day. He said, teacher, boil all the law down to one. One thing. What is it? And if we just look at the question, we really won't, in my opinion, understand the significance of the answer. Jesus, the Son of God, Preston's paraphrase, looks back and says, you want to know the most important thing to the Father? What's the greatest commandment? What's a command? Something God asks you to do because he wants you to do it. Jesus is asked the question, what is the thing at the top of the Father's list that he wants me to do? And Jesus teaches all of humanity, in my opinion, one of the greatest secrets, if not the greatest secret, man will ever learn. Okay, I'll tell you. Here's what the Father wants more than anything, Preston. He wants you to love him with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. He is so obsessed with you that the number one thing on his list he wants from you is to love him back. Preston's paraphrase, Jesus essentially teaches us. Preston, if you ever want to know the Father's favorite words to hear come out of your mouth, it's when you say, Daddy, I love you. I'm convinced, somewhere around 14 years old, the trajectory of my life entirely changed in one moment of time. I don't honestly remember exactly how old I was. I was somewhere 13 or 14. It was a Sunday night. My dad was leading worship on the stage, just at the piano, just him. And it was the first time I can remember the tangible presence of God sweeping into a room I was in. I was off to my dad's left, in the second row facing this way. My dad was singing the song, I love you, Lord. And I didn't understand the story I just told you. I did not understand yet that Jesus had answered the question, what's the number one thing the Father wants? He wants me to love him with everything in me. I didn't know it yet, but he was teaching me before I learned. My dad was singing that song. 
and just remember the tangible presence of the God of the universe for the very first time in my life. Preston, how did you know it was God's presence? Because it was something I had never, ever, ever experienced before, and I had no words for it. I knew it was altogether different. Well, that's what holy means. And what is a holy moment? It's a normal moment God steps into with man. My dad's singing the song, and I just got overwhelmed by the love of the Father. I didn't have words to describe what I was feeling. I didn't know what to do. I'd never been in a moment like this before. Oddly enough, I wasn't thinking about trying not to screw it up. The only thing I could think as a boy, and this could only be because he had to have been putting his hand on my heart and pushed it out of me because it's what he wanted from me more than anything else. All I kept saying I love you. I'd never said it to him before. I love you. I love you. I started crying. I love you. I love you so much. I love you. I love you over and over and over again. It was my burning bush moment with my best friend, the one who would become one day my best friend. And he was teaching me, I don't have to know all these steps. I don't have to know all these words. If you take away all the words in every language, but leave these three words, we'll be fine. Preston, just tell me you love me. And 32 years ago, The week I turned 45, out of all the things he could ask me to say this weekend, that he would end saying, for all time's sake. So I just want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And this might be the dumbest thing you've ever heard a pastor say, but I'm okay if that's what you think about what I'm about to say. That simple but supernatural moment changed my entire life. And I asked the Lord for something this week for my birthday. You might think this is really stupid. But what I asked the Lord for this week was for you to get to experience the same thing he let me experience. When all I said was, I love you. Wes is going to sing the exact same song my dad was singing over me and everyone in that room 
I didn't sing the song, and I don't want you to either. I just want you to take a few moments. I just want you to lavish your love on the one who said, if you want to give me a gift, here's what I want more than anything in all the earth. I just want to hear you tell me you love me. Let's just spend a few moments doing nothing more than that. Sweet, sweet sound. 